You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning, uh, Mission family. It's a privilege to be able to open God's word to you today. Um, I'm Brian. I'm part of the teaching team here at the Mission. The, uh, I do have to start with uh, saying Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there and uh, recognizing those of you, too, that have been uh, spiritual fathers for others, have been role models and mentors as well. So Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to my own dad. Uh, my dad grew up in a house that didn't have a lot of affection or love in it and certainly no knowledge of God. And uh, early in his adult life, he became a believer, and God did an amazing transformation in his life, and he was an amazing father, has been an amazing father to me. So just kudos to my dad, and uh, shout out to him on this day. Um, Before we begin the message, I also wanted to recognize that uh, today is Juneteenth, and on this day in 1865, um, federal troops came into the city of Galveston in Texas and uh, emancipated, freed the last of the slaves in America, and uh, that it's been a holiday actually in Texas for probably 30 to 40 years now, and it's become a national holiday, and I think in pausing to recognize it, we have to recognize the fact that God hates slavery. Uh, it goes against his very nature, so he's instilled in each one of us his image, regardless of what our ethnicity is, what our race is, what our color of our skin is. He's given us his value because he's made us in his image. And so when one person enslaves another, they're denying the value, the inherent value that God has given that individual. And so I think it's good to have a day like today where we recognize that evil existed and still exists in the world and that um, at one point in our history and hopefully continue to be, people took a stand against that. Um, before I begin, though, I do also have to give a little bit of confession. Uh, when we were working as a teaching team about who was going to speak when, um, I thought, oh, Father's Day is June 12th. I definitely don't want to speak that day. I'll speak on June 19th instead. So here I am. And, and, and honestly, too, I'll just be really very real with you. I felt pretty broken as a dad over the last couple years and uh, felt like I'm you know, failing miserably. So this, of course, I don't want to speak on Father's Day. But it is part of the reason, perhaps, that I'm not going to be giving a Father's Day message, per se. We're going to do what we, we always do here at the mission, which is to open God's word with a desire to understand what it is that God's communicating to us. And we're going to do that today by looking at Romans chapter 12, and uh, we'll be looking at the first 13 verses in that chapter. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says there, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. 
So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is teaching others, uh, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Let's pray. God, as we get ready to open your word, I just would ask that you would uh, allow us to see what you'd have as the message for each of us in this passage, Lord. And may I speak your words today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to just look at this passage verse by verse. And so it begins in in verse 1. He says, and so, right? That's how it starts out. Uh, In the NIV, it's the word therefore. When we see that word therefore, we look and say it's this connection to what has been stated before. And in these previous chapters, uh, Paul has explained this, uh, the mystery of how the salvation has come to the Gentiles out of the people of Israel. And it's this uh, connection that wins together the story that God's always had throughout history with this new revelation that he has that the people of uh, the Gentiles have opportunity for it. And so it's this transition into this passage that he has now, and it sort of sets it up. Because of what I've shared before, now hear this, right? It says, dear brothers and sisters. So we know when he says that, that this passage is designed for those who are followers of Christ, those who are believers, dear brothers and sisters, he describes it. And then he goes on and says, um, to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. So when we hear something like that, I think we typically look at it from a very Greek perspective, which divides the body from the mind, right? And so we might think, well, what's, what's God asking for here? We have to remember that that's not the perspective that Paul would have brought to this writing, He understood it from a very uh, Jewish kind of perspective. That was how he was trained. He was trained uh, by some of the leading uh, Jewish thinkers of his day. He would have had a a much more holistic understanding uh, when it comes to the term uh, body. And so, in fact, in the Hebrew mindset, the body was actually what housed the soul. And so what Paul's saying in this passage is give all of who you are to God. When it says sacrifice, make that your sacrifice. And, uh, and that should remind us of something, right? When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is his response? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So it's that same kind of concept of giving all of who we are to God. And verse 1 finishes with this idea. It says, this is truly the way to worship him. And there's... A little bit of a tendency. We hear that word worship today, and we automatically think of the little set of songs that we sing at the beginning of the service, right? That's our, that's our worship. That's the way we understand that term worship, and that's not what's meant here. It's a much broader understanding. It uh, A real understanding of worship is simply anything we do that recognizes God for who he is. 
Anything we do where we recognize the greatness of God, the glory of God, the action of God in our lives. So many of you know, my wife and I have uh, done a couple of long hiking trips this spring uh, on the Pacific Crest Trail. And there's times where, many times, many, many times, where I'm walking along, I walk around, across, uh, around a corner, and this amazing vista spreads out in front of me. And it's just, it's absolutely just beautiful. And what's my reflection in that moment? God, you've made a beautiful, amazing world. That's an act of worship on my part at that very moment. Uh, other times in my life, it can be just uh, simply recognizing God's action in a particular situation, maybe almost a miracle, right, where I look at it and say, wow, look what God has done. Look at his provision, and I give the glory to him because he, he deserves it. That is an act of worship. And so when Paul says in this passage to give of our whole selves to God because that is an act of worship on our, on our part. Goes on in verse two, and he says, do not... Um, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Or in the NIV says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And we hear that, and we know this passage is written to believers, right? It just said that. It says brothers and sisters. And you're thinking, well, how can this be? How can we copy and, and fall into these patterns and behaviors that are of the world? And that's the reality, though, guys, we live in a broken, fallen, messed up world. And we, even when we're a follower of God, we still possess a sin nature that we were born with. And just so you understand what I mean when I say sin nature, Adam and Eve were sinless individuals. The first human beings, they had the choice not to sin, but they chose to sin. They chose to disobey God. And in that moment where they disobeyed God, the whole world fell. And part of that fall is that each and every descendant of theirs, including you and me, are born with a sin nature. And, and basically, the idea of a sin nature is that we're incapable of avoiding doing evil things. It doesn't mean I do evil all the time. It just means I can't help myself. I, there are going to be times where I sin. And on top of it, to make it even more challenging, is that Satan exists. And Satan's purpose is to tempt you to, to uh, be doing things that are disobedient to God. So when Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, we shouldn't be surprised by that. That's the reality that we all face. And, um, but he gives an answer to it, right? His response to it is instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It really got me to thinking about it. I mean, Part of the challenge is that what the world presents is a different way of thinking than we possess as Christians. And part of what happens is that we continually take into our minds all the ways that the world has to think about things, and then that's what comes out through us. That's when we start to copy the behaviors and customs of this world. So just think about some of the ways that that happens, right? It happens through the music that I choose to listen to happens through the uh, movies that I choose to watch, happens through the TikTok videos that I spend a lot of time wasting my time on, right? It happens through the uh, Instagram people that I follow and, and what they're saying about the world through what I do in that. It happens through the interactions that I have, but all of these things come into our mind and then that's what comes out. That's why when we absorb from the world and what comes out of us is reflective of the world as well. 
And it's really interesting to me is that Paul has given us an answer that's a different way of, of uh, thinking about this in Philippians 4.8. This is an alternative to just taking in what the world is giving us all the time. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So you have this contrast, right? We take in all this junk from the world, whether it's uh, different, uh, different moral standards about what's sexually right or wrong, whether it's lyrics that are debasing to women or lyrics that are, uh, that are, are uh, racist in their uh, nature, whether it's movies that say things about the world that are not true, that make evil good and good evil, uh, whatever it is, these kind of things, we're absorbing them and they're coming through in the patterns of behavior that we have in our lives. And God says, hey, here's a different way of thinking about this. Think about things that are true. Think about things that are honorable. Think about things that are just. And think about those kinds of things. And then what happens from that at the end of, cha- and the end of verse 2 is that we get to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect We hear that, and it's, it's, this is like a, a version of WWJD on steroids, right? right? What would Jesus do? But in a bigger sense, what God's will is in each situation that we find ourselves in, from the big picture to the little things in life. And then Paul gives us a warning in verse 3. He says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should or ought in the NIV. Don't, be, don't think you are better than you really are in the NLT. Be honest in your evaluation. Measure yourself by the faith God has given us. And I think it's really interesting because our tendency, right, is to see ourselves as pretty good. I'm pretty good. There's a lot of people that are doing things a lot worse than I am out there. I'm not so bad, right? That's our tendency. And what Paul is saying in this, this is a warning. Our tendency is to think more highly of ourselves than we should, and it's only when we understand what God has done for us and why that we get a proper perspective about it. That's the faith that he's describing here that sort of gives us the pause, gives us the honest perspective, because what does that say? It says that there's nothing that I could do or that you could do to make ourselves right with God. Our sin, the bad things that we do, separate us from God. And there's no way a holy God could have sin in his presence. The only way that we have a relationship with God is because of what God has done on our behalf. And he's made a way. He, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our doing things that were in violation of who God is and what God is all about, God said, I love you. I love you and I've made a way. I've sent my son to die on the cross on your behalf. And when I, when I believe that, when I accept what he's done on my behalf, I recognize my sinfulness, my brokenness, and I'm restored to relationship with him. And that becomes the reminder uh, that Paul is talking about, the reminder that it, I'm, not as, I'm not all that. I'm not good. I'm a messed up, broken person. But what's interesting about it is a caution uh, that also cautions against the other side, right? The other time is all those times in your life when you're feeling really, really, really down about yourself. I'm a horrible person. I'm worthless, and I'm not. You know what? It's the other. The other side is captured in this as well. 
Because what God has done is he said, I've made you in my image. You're different from the rest of creation. You have special value because of that. And not only that, is that even in your sin, even if you were the only sinner in the world, you would have sent Jesus Christ, his son, to be the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf. That's the love I have for you. That's your value as a human being. I loved you so much that I sent my son to die on the cross on your behalf. So uh, when Paul gives this warning to not think more highly, it comes as an answer that talks about thinking too little of yourself as well. And then jumping down to verses four and five, these ought to be the theme verses for the mission, right? We talk all the time, we're not just a church, we're a family, right? And this is what's captured in this, these two verses uh, where he, he uses a couple metaphors to make a point. So he says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. So it's just, he's gonna create a word picture from this, right? Every one of us, you know, we have two eyes, we have ears, we have a nose, we have a mouth, we have arms, we have legs, we have knees. We have all these parts of our body and every single one of them is important, Right? You know, just try living without one of them for a while, other than your appendix. We don't quite know what that one's for, but, um, but you know, try living without one, and it's, it's a challenge, right? And so he, Paul says, so it is with Christ's body. When he's saying Christ's body there, he's referring specifically to the church. So he's creating this word picture that says, just like each of us has parts in our body, and every one of them is important, it's the same way with the church, Every single one of you is bringing something to the mission. Every single one of you has been as, as, a, as a function here. If all you're doing is coming on a Sunday morning and then walking out at the end, you're, we're, we're missing it. There's something missing in our church when that's happening. The reality is we need every single person to live out whatever that function is that God has for you in his church. And we start to see a picture of what some of those are in verses 6 through 8. And he gives uh, seven uh, gifts of the Spirit in this section. And this is not meant to be a comprehensive list. It's certainly not as comprehensive as what Paul gives in, in 1 Corinthians, for example. But it's, it's seven examples of gifts of the Spirit. And when we say gifts of the Spirit, the idea of it is, is that when you accepted Christ as Savior, God places his Holy Spirit in you, and that in that process, you have uh, certain gifts and abilities that the Spirit allows and empowers you to do, and that would are designed for the function of the church. Now, some of those could be skills and abilities you already have yourself uh, that you might have recognized in yourself even before you were a believer, but now they're, uh, through the work of the Spirit, they've been turned into a, a source of strength within the church. So let's look at these seven things that he lists here. So he says, if you have the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. So this, this first uh, gift here is the gift of prophecy. And I think a lot of times when we hear that word prophecy today, we think of, oh, it's foretelling the future in some kind of way. You know, the idea of looking into the crystal ball and knowing what's going to happen in the future. And, and really, it's a lot broader meaning of this. Essentially, it means speaking uh, the words of God about something someone, something, some situation that you're in, giving God's perspective about something. So sometimes this is, could be about the future, but often it is an insight given by God that if, where if you have this gift, you're able to discern what God is telling you and give it to others. And the purpose of that is to convict 
and to build up. To, uh, and so uh, by the conviction part of it is when I, when I get that message, God's Holy Spirit works through this word that I've received to make me more and more like him. And to build up means to encourage. It means there's a direction to it. It's not being used to tear somebody down. The second gift of the Spirit that we see here is, is the gift of service. Now, we're all called to serve. But this here is particularly talking about this gift of helping or helping others. And it's the Greek word diakonia, from which we get the English word deacon. You might remember like the first place this really shows up in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 6. And in that story in Acts chapter 6, the widows that were of uh, Greek or Gentile descent felt like they were being cheated in the uh, service of the, by the church leaders in, in the, uh, in the uh, welfare kind of stuff that was being given to them versus the women that were uh, of Jewish descent. And the response of the church leaders was to say, hey, find people that possess diaconia, find this gift of helps, and they're going to be the ones that ensure that what we're done, doing is done fairly. And so that's this idea of helping or help that we see in this gift of service. Uh, then he says, if you have the gift of, if you are a teacher, teach well. Uh, particularly thinking of teaching the word of God. And I love the idea of this because it has a characteristic afterwards, right? Do it well. Don't be mediocre. Do it well. That's how important this is. Uh, the fourth gift of the Spirit is encourage. The idea of this is to make others feel better uplifting. It's this Greek word paraklesis. And um, that word is translated in three different ways in English. Uplifting, sometimes uh, translated uplifting, sometimes translated exhorting, and sometimes translated comforting. And I think each of those English words gives a different sense of what this word includes. So you have first uh, the word uplifting. You guys ever finish a conversation with somebody and you feel like a million bucks, right? There's somebody that has just this way of being able to talk to you and encourage you and you get done and you're like, I don't know what it is about this person, but every time I talk to them, I feel like a million bucks. That's somebody that has this gift of being an encourager. But it's also included in this is the word exhorting. And I always picture this as I'm, I'm running a race and I'm coming down towards the finish line and there's this person along the sidelines, go, 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 you got it, you can do it. That's this idea of exhorting. And it's another aspect of what it means to have this gift of encouraging. And then the third aspect is the word comforting. And this is like when, you're, when things are, are rough, tough stuff is happening, there's uh, you know, uh, just things have happened in your life that are horrible, and it's that person that just wraps you in a big hug, holds you tight, lets you cry on their shoulder. That's this idea of this person that has the gift of encouragement. Uh, it goes on in the second half of verse eight, says, if it is giving, if you have the gift of giving, give generously. So meet the needs of others and do it generously. Uh, leadership, it says in the uh, beginning of the next, uh, or the end of that verse as well, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. So do it diligently. And the idea there is that tendency for people that are elevated into a position of leadership is to see it as an opportunity for their own enrichment, for their own sense of power, whatever it is. And God's, re God's response to that is, don't look at it that way. See it as a responsibility, not as an opportunity. And then he finishes this little list with kindness. He says, if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. 
the uh, NIV uses the word mercy there rather than kindness. And in some ways, I think it gives us a little bit better understanding of what God's talking about. Because mercy is, the, is unmerited favor. It's when uh, somebody has done something to you and it, it, it may be mean and ugly and awful and your response could be to respond in the same kind of way, but instead you show this person mercy and give a different response than they perhaps deserve. And what's interesting about this, though, is that apparently there's a way to do this without doing it gladly. I can't imagine that. Right? Sometimes don't you do that where you give this response like, well, you know, that was horrible and I should do such and such, but I'm not going to do that, right? And you do, you're, you give mercy, but you don't really do it that gladly. That tends to be me, to be honest. And I sort of pat myself on the back thinking I've been so, so good. But what God's saying is if you have this gift of kindness, do it generously, do it gladly. Be uh, very uh, gracious about passing that out. And then finally, Paul finishes this section with this, this whole area that I put under the title, Be Real, because there are just nine little things that almost require no explanation. Like, so often, like, even the passage of Scripture that we just looked at, right, there's some aspects of it that are confusing that, you know, take some effort to dive into and figure out what God is saying. And then he finishes uh, verses 9 to 13 here with nine things that are just you know, straightforward. Everybody ought to be able to figure these things out, right? And I think he sets these up a little bit like he does in 1 Corinthians. When he, 1 Corinthians, remember, he presents uh, in chapters like 10 and 11, or 11 and 12, he presents the gifts of the Spirit in that section, and then he dives in with chapter 13, which is all about love. And I think he does that for a reason, because what he's trying to tell us is that the context for the application, the use of all of our spiritual gifts is love. If you practice your spiritual gifts and are missing love, then you're missing out on what this is really all about. And he sort of does the same thing in this section, right? He's going to present, hey, here's some gifts of the Spirit. Here's these things that you're supposed to be exercising, particularly in the context of the church. And I'm going to give you a few warnings that all go around this topic of love. So let's just go through these fairly quickly. But um, So he says in, in verse 9, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. So really love don't just pretend. And remember, this is in the context of church. So, Sunday morning, you know, we come in, we hug, and, you know, we shake hands, we do the bro hug, whatever it is, right? We, we're glad to see each other. And then, you know, then I'm like, as soon as that service is over, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm tired of these people. I don't really want to talk to them anymore. You know, we go home, you gossip about people here. What? This is God's answer to it right here. He says, don't just pretend, really love. That ought to be characteristic of what this church is about. What every church is about is that it's characterized by real love for others. And he goes on, though, and he says, hate wrong and love what is good. We, we, honestly, guys, we have a tendency, and this is not just our church, this is the church in general today, particularly the American church, to... Uh, trip on this thing because we have decided that love means that I don't recognize that what somebody else is doing is actually biblically wrong. And yet our very model for love, God himself, it shows, demonstrates the perfect way to do this. Because right, he, he, his holiness prevents sin from being in his presence. But despite that, he says, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you and I'm going to make a way for that to be able to happen but it doesn't change what right and what wrong is. And that's God's telling us the same thing here through Paul. Hate what is wrong, 
hold tightly to what is good. Uh, third part of this, love each other with genuine affection. So be devoted, connected like family. There's this, here's another verse that ought to be our mission theme verse, right? Be devoted to one another. Um, it says, take delight in honoring each other. So honor others. Think of others as being more important than yourself. And, you know, sometimes that's easy to do within the church context. Oh, I had a great conversation. I look up to this person. That's so easy to do. But he says, regardless of who the person is, we honor them. We see them as being more important than ourselves. Verse 11, uh, not, but don't be lazy. Work hard. Work for the Lord enthusiastically. Uh, verse 12 begins with rejoice in our confident hope. So be joyful. And that confident hope uh, can mean several things, but one possibility for it is this recognition that uh, Jesus Christ is coming again and that what we have, what we're experiencing right now, the brokenness, the fallenness, the messed upness of this world, the ugliness that we deal with on an everyday basis, the wrongs that we see being done, this is not the way that it's always going to be. God is going to make this right someday. So sometimes the, that is the only source of joy that we have because there's so much ugliness around us. And be, we can be joyful because of that. And he says, be patient in trouble. What's our typical response to trouble? We get irritated. We get frustrated. We get angry. And God says, be patient in trouble. And then finally, in that same verse, says, uh, be prayerful. Keep on praying. So we have reached a point, I think, a lot of times in our society today that the response to a crisis that we have is to take political action. And we've actually joined the world in denigrating the power of prayer. And, and, and what's wrong about that is that when we're talking about an issue that's primarily a moral issue, that's sort of something wrong with this world, our response ought to be to go to God with it. It doesn't mean that we don't eventually go or there isn't a role for political action at some point in the future. But, or any, even now, but the point being is that what our response as, as Christians ought to be is to be prayerful, to be lifting this up, because what, who can do something about the problems that we're in? God can do something about it, and that's why we pray. And then finally, in verse uh, 13, uh, uh, meet needs of believers, practice hospitality, and uh, that's that whole idea of opening our home opening our lives, opening our minds, opening our wallets, uh, you know, being willing to lift up and take care of the needs of others. And these nine things are, I mean, these are practical, right? These are like, I, did, I didn't need a theology degree to, to un- read and understand what these are all about. These are, these are critical uh, for who we are as believers and how we practice our faith in the context of church. As the worship team comes up, let's just pause and uh, look for God's challenge in these verses. And I will say this, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in what we shared today. And there may be an aspect or two that were particularly challenging for you. As we pray right now, let God work in you on those particular areas. How do I respond as a believer to what God has impacted me with today? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you desire all of us as a, as a sacrifice, Lord, um, of, of who we are uh, on your behalf, Lord, that we would be in service to you, and we do that service through the context of your local church, Lord. We just uh, thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the gifts that you've given to the individuals that are here. May we use them in service to you. And Lord, as this 
Uh, may we be real about our faith. May we love others with sincerity. May we live out these practical aspects of what you've described here in Romans chapter 12, Lord. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.